Welcome to the Moms of Tweens and Teens podcast. If some days you doubt yourself and you don't know what you're doing, if you've ugly cried alone in your bedroom because you felt like you're failing, well, I just want you to know you're not alone and you have come to the right place. Raising tweens and teens in today's world is not easy. And I'm on a mission to equip you to love well and to raise emotionally healthy, happy tweens and teens that thrive. I believe that moms are heroes and we have the power to transform our family and to impact future generations. If you are looking for answers, encouragement, and to become more of the mom and the woman that you want to be, welcome. I'm Cheryl Gould, and I am so glad that you're here. Hi, friend. Welcome to the show today, and I'm so glad that you're listening in today, and you're in for a treat today. I have a special guest with me, Kim Minch. And she's the author of the brand new book, Becoming Me While Raising You. And what we talk about today in this interview is a very powerful concept about our childhoods and how they impact how we view ourselves, how we parent our kids. Everything really can be linked back to those beliefs that we get from our experiences when we were growing up. And the really cool thing is we can change that and we can grow and we can change our internal belief system and that those those gremlins in our head that hold us back from becoming who we were really created to be and living the life that we were meant to live and also raising our kids to be more of who they really are so that they can live those lives that they're meant to live. And so we're going to jump in and I can't wait for you to learn from all that Kim has to share. Hi, Kim. Welcome to the show today. I'm so excited that you're here. Thank you, Cheryl. I'm really delighted to have this conversation with you. I think it's going to be an important go back and forth between us. Me too. And I I just love talking to you. And I love your latest book, which I was telling you before we jumped on here, Becoming Me While Raising You. And I cannot wait to talk about your book because I could not put it down. I felt like I was in the book right alongside of you. So I know that so many of the parents, the moms that are listening are going to gain so much insight as they hear what you have to share. Yeah, I do. I've heard that many times that it's, first of all, it is a really quick read. And second, that the emotions involved in the stories that I share are are very relatable. Even if people haven't had that same experience, the, the way I've written it and the emotions come through really easily. So that's, yeah, that's what I found when I, you were telling your story, I was, especially your childhood stories, I, my story might have been different, but I could so relate mm-hmm. to your your feelings of the experience that you were having. So, so thank you. I know other 
other parents are going to relate so much to. So let's just dive in and just start by telling our listeners why why did you decide to write this book? Because you've written two other books as well. I have written I have written one other book. One and, other book. Um, I decided to write this book because I think that parents don't understand how much their childhood experience impacts their parenting. I think that parents know they get triggered. Um, by triggered, I mean something happens within their um, relationship with their child and they or their spouse or anybody, and they go from calm to flying off the handle. Yeah. And they can't figure out what they might know. They think that the behavior is what's stressing them out and causing them to react. And on the surface, it is. However, there's more going on beneath the surface. So this book looks at the six limiting beliefs I took on in my childhood, which I think are many of which are universal, but six of them that I took on and how they played out over and over again in my marriage and in my parenting for many years until I decided to do the work of A, uncovering them, B, asking, is this true? Uh, Is this true? And then if that's not true, what is? And how do I work on practicing a new belief that's going to better serve my relationship to myself and to the people that I love the most? So I, I think, and I've used, I, I, it's a, I think it's a unique way of, of sharing the concept of limiting beliefs. Um, I've used my story, I think, really well, but it's not about Kim Minch's story so much as it is the concept of, look, what we go through as kids, you can't just put that aside and, and think that it's you know not affecting your most important relationships and start to get curious about what do I really believe about myself? So again, I think I used my experiences in life in a very relatable way, but everybody's got their story, Cheryl. Everyone has their yes. story of things that they've gone through and stuff that they've taken on that they need to question so that they don't project it onto the next generation because we are writing the manual on which our grandchildren will be raised. So um, it's important that we do this work. Yes, it's you took a healing journey. And as you say in the book, as parent coaches, oftentimes people will come to us or come to me and they want a how-to, or how can I fix my kid? Which In five is, steps. <laughs> I know, exactly. Make it as painless as possible, which so much of your story I related to because it was buying every parenting book, which there's so many good ones out there, and how-to is important as well. But we can try to do the how-to but then we keep having these behaviors come up over and over and over again. And until we really dig in and look at that, like you're saying, and you explain in the book, it really, there. I, I truly agree with you that there really can't be true healing and that we actually have the power to transform our families by doing this work yeah. and breaking, like you say in the book, those generational patterns. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So if you're a mom who is, you know, 
yells at her kids all the time and can't figure out why and never wanted to be like your mother or your father, you know, and, and, you know, can't, can't figure out how that, and, and you know that what you're doing is going to be picked up by your kids because you either don't know another way to respond or you haven't figured out how to break that pattern. That's, that's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. To get curious about it. Yeah. So in the book, which I do think, I don't, I've never read a book that's written like yours. It really, you said it's unique. It is unique because the first part of the book you talk about, you tell stories of your childhood and being, becoming pregnant as a teenager, um, just the childhood events that formed your beliefs, leaving an abusive relationship, then, and then getting remarried and then having four more kids mm -hmm. and then going through your son's recovery from alcohol addiction. And yes. then that was, that was when you really started looking, was that when it, when it really, yeah. 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 So the book is in three parts, like you said. So the first part of it is Becoming Me. And those are the childhood stories where I have looked back and figured out where I've taken on different beliefs about myself. The second part is Raising You. So Becoming Me is the first part. Raising You is the second part. And that is where I leave um, the abusive relationship to my eldest son's father and get married and have four more kids. And we move from Wisconsin to Texas and then find out a year later that my um, son was struggling with an addiction to alcohol. So um, then I, I, there's a very raw story about how I get him, you know, over a series of months, get him into rehab. And that journey set in me, you know, I, I didn't, Parents went when, and I don't want to veer off for, for too long into this, but when parents deal with a child's addiction, I think a lot of them can blame themselves or feel like, you know, what did I do as a parent? Or I'm a crappy parent, or why did this happen to me? All those things. And I, I can't say I didn't go through some of that, but the most important thing for me was how do I help this kid as much as possible without enabling the behavior and what can I learn from this because I have four other kids you know behind him and where do I need to take accountability for how I contributed yet learn and and, and learn from that in tandem and grow as a person I just took a really challenging uh, parenting situation and made it my wake-up call as a human being that's that's what I did yeah. Well, as you know, I also have a daughter. She's been sober for 11 years. So I've walked that path. And I, I think it is, it's very easy to get stuck in that why versus the, the how and the, and the what, you know, what am I, what am I going to do to use this to grow right. and look at myself and not in a condemning way, because you talk about that over and over again in the book that, so much of these decisions we we make in life or our kids make while we some of the decisions maybe that we made impacted them we just can't you know right we cannot blame ourselves right it it, it doesn't i i feel like i've always tried to do the best i could with what i knew at the time yes and i think 
I think every I think every parent does that based on their own experience, right? <clears throat> Some people don't have wonderful examples of their growing up, of their parenting, and they're trying to parent without any knowledge of what you know what what is helpful. I, another thing I think is really important from the book and in my parenting is I've looked at <clears throat> excuse me certain situations where like I cheated on a science test in high school and my parents got <coughs> really upset about it. And, you know, I got grounded and, and yelled at and diminished. And I already felt like crap, quite frankly, because I knew it was wrong. And so I think to myself, when, when my kids are in situations, what would have been helpful for me if the, I put myself in my child's position and think, you know, if my mom had come to me and said, gosh, your science teacher called Kim, that's so unlike you. And, and we never taught you to, you know, to cheat on things. You must be having some difficulty. What can, do you need some extra time with your science class? Do you, you know, can we get a tutor, whatever, you know, whatever the case may be, but that would have been a lot more helpful than getting angry and grounding me because, you know, it didn't, it just didn't help. And in, in fact, many situations in my childhood, I, you know, parents can think about, trying to put yourself in the other in the other person's shoes, I became a lot sneakier as a teenager, yes. mm -hmm. because I was trying to get around my parents judgments. And I know that in my case, there were times when what we look like to the outside world, and I think this goes today, what we looked like as a family to the outside world was slightly more important than the connections in our house. And so, and I think that, you know, I think that can even be exacerbated now that we have social media. But again, to I've always tried to parent, all of my five kids are so unique and different, but have tried at times when it's challenging, when I want to, when I want to go to anger, to think about it from their perspective, what else could have been going on, ask more additional questions and try and work with them to come up with a solution yeah. if there needs to be a consequence. A lot of times it's 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 a natural consequence that they're gonna get anyway. I don't need to add on to that because all that does is produce shame in someone. And that that is why, I don't know if you found this in your work, but my greatest challenge in in cultivating continuous parents working on themselves is that we have such a hard time as adults looking within ourselves because of the way that we were raised yes. because of, you know, because of we're we don't want to be judged. And that's why I think I've been as transparent as I have in this book and with clients, because I want them to know that there's nothing. I, I mean, I have my own stuff that I've been through certainly over the years and I'm not in any place nor do I want to be to judge I only want to work with families um, on a compassionate level and and just help yes. them to mm -hmm. I mean to ha to have better relationships with their kids right now so that those children grow up and if they choose to have children of their own they're they have a more compassionate intentional way of parenting their kids we're going to want that as grandparents. Yes. I mean, oh, yeah, you, oh my gosh, you said so many good things. Um, I like wanted to take notes. Um, one thing that you were saying was 
about the cheating and wouldn't it have been different. Well, it's, I'm thinking if we, if we would have like, let, let's put myself in, in your, your mom's shoes. If I would have, instead of how can I support my daughter? It's maybe she cheated because of something I did. That's so not true. Like, I'm sure you didn't cheat because, because of something your mother did, right? No. I mean, I cheated because I wasn't prepared and because- Exactly. <laughs> you know, so it's how, and then I was making the connection while I'm sitting here thinking, why do we do that? And maybe it's because we want to look good or we want to, when we get stuck in that rut of it must be my fault- then we want to fix our kids so we can feel better about ourselves. Absolutely. We are way, 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 and yeah. I say this in the book, we are way too attached to the outcomes of our children as being a reflection of who we are as an individual. And I learned in the depths of Nick's addiction and where I clearly knew at this point I had no control because I didn't even want the phone to ring. I mean, I did not know what was going to happen next. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and I, and I, I just, I, I came to the conclusion that while I knew I didn't have any control, I also didn't know why my son was in the world and what his, what his journey was to evolve through. So I just concentrated on supporting and encouraging him without doing for him what he could do for himself. And I mean, this is a kid who ended up going to treatment in um, Southern Texas and doing sober living in Austin. And um, he had nothing like and I, we didn't have anything to give him. He started with like he bought a bike from Goodwill and he worked in a grocery store in a, on a not good side of town from 11 o'clock at night to like seven in the morning and would bike all across Austin just to get there. Like there was no it, and he would complain to me and I would just listen. I would listen. I would, you know, I would be empathetic. But I didn't rush in and like, okay, we got to give him a car. We got to, you know, we've got to get him set up for this sober living. He, everything that he did, and I'm sure you would concur with your daughter, yeah. like it had to come with, from within him. And it is so, it is one of the most, Painful. I can't think of anything. I don't, I can't think of anything harder than watching your child go through something really difficult that you, what you wish that they weren't going through, but that is helping them become who they're meant to be. Yes, yes. Rather than enabling them and sending them that message that you don't, we don't believe that they're capable. Right, right. That, what do you think allowed you to be able to do that? Where you were able to allow him to struggle? Maybe also having the experience, going back to me being a pregnant teen, I, when I became pregnant, um, had to make a choice. Um, my dad had said, if you want to keep, if you want to keep this baby, you have to move out of the family home. And so as an 18 year old, I navigated the welfare system, which I really didn't even know what it was, but figured it out and moved out of the house on $360 and food stamps. And I know my dad made that decision out of love, um, but it forced me to grow up even faster, right? And so Nick was about the same age when he was going through this. And so 
I wanted, you know, I wanted to give him, I guess, that opportunity to find that within himself because yeah. that's, mm-hmm. you know, as difficult as it was for me at, at near his age to go through that growing up experience, I knew also it was what created who I am in part today. And, mm-hmm. you know, I just, I, I also must've had enough, not that I had any friends or family that had gone through it, but I also must've had enough knowledge about how you enable, and it's such a tightrope walk. It's such it, a tightrope walk. Is. Like, yeah. like, when do I help? When do I, you know, is this enabling? Is it, you know, so I think that one of the things that I work with parents on is their intuition is mm-hmm. really just going within themselves. And I think that's what I did a lot and have ever since that situation is really tried to work on what is my gut telling me about this? Yeah. Is it, am I, Am I hurting him in the long run if I give him this $20? Am I hurting him? You know, I didn't want him. I didn't want to contribute to the self-destructive behavior, even though I had no control over what his outcome was going to be. I mean, you know, there, I'm sure you Mm -hmm. know, like, you just don't know, like he could have, he could have died. He could have killed somebody on the road. He could have, I mean, there's so many things that we get anxious about, but um, you know, another point from the book is just the idea that parents really work on getting connected to themselves. We have so nice. much information coming at us all the time. Our kids do, we do, and to learn how to get quiet and tap into our own inner wisdom about not only ourselves, but the kids who've either come through our bodies or to us, you know, to, to be to drown out all that noise and just listen to the path of what your child is telling you through their behavior and their words. Yeah. I think of, am I doing this, that intuition, am I doing this out of a place of fear? Mm -hmm. Fear can just cause us to just make those knee jerk decisions. Yes. And what is going to truly be the loving doesn't always mean the easiest all right. For uh, sure. that, yeah, is going to be the most loving decision. Is yes. this going to hurt them or is this really going to help them? Is this going to hurt them and I'm just doing it out of my own fear and anxiety? Yeah. And you're right. It's not it's not always easy to discern that, but to be really wrestling with that is that question. Right. Um is very important. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, thank you for sharing that. I want to dig in and I I uh, I think we could talk for uh, for <laughs> a whole nother hour, but I want the listeners to make a few connections. And of course, we can't cover it all. And I really want um, to encourage everybody to get your book. But you talk about you have seven limiting beliefs, or is it six? Seven? Seven? It is six. Six. Six limiting beliefs. There was a two that really stood out to me. I mean, they all did. Which one do you want to talk about for sake of time? You had, I'm not worthy of being heard. Or you also talked about the one that came out of the anxiety you experienced. Which is, I need to perform for love and approval. Yes. yes. Which I think, I think, I think I'm going to go into, I'm not worthy of being heard. Because I think it's a good story. But both of these beliefs, again, the six beliefs that I took on about myself, I think, 
I think people will relate to in some way, shape or form, if not from a childhood experience, just in general, um, I'll never be good enough was one was another one of them. And that's just like, I mean, we all on some level and where does that come from? So anyway, so I will tell you the story about I'm not worthy of being heard. Right. Mm -hmm. Okay. So again, a couple of years ago, I asked myself, what do I really believe about myself? And so I, you know, it took some time. It wasn't, you know, in five minutes time that I wrote this stuff down. But one of the things was that I really have a hard time speaking up for myself and being heard. And Mm -hmm. so what is it? So I asked myself, what is the first time that I can remember feeling like I was trying to say something or, or that I, that I was shut down? So I came up with a memory that I had from when I was six years old and I grew up in Wisconsin and it was a summer night. Um, It was after dinner. My mom had, I think, gone to the grocery store or something. She was running errands and my dad was in charge and I have two younger brothers. So I was six and my brother was four and then my littlest brother was two. And my aunt had stopped by to pick something up. And we just, we had decided in the course of a few minutes to go to our neighbor's backyard and swing on her swing set. And we lived in a, you know, two story, three bedroom, two and a half bath colonial in a suburb of Milwaukee, right? So very first house, small backyards. Um, and so in plain view of my dad and my aunt, we went to the neighbor's house and In the process of that, I had said to my brother, let's have a race. Let's see who can go the highest on the swing. So my brother and I got on our swings and we were pumping. And my littlest brother, when we went to the next door, um, the backyard, he had gone to the sandbox. So he was playing in the sandbox. Four-year-old brother and myself were swinging like crazy. And I see, I start to see my brother, my little brother is coming um, towards the swing. And I, you know, I think, I think he's going to stop, but, (laughs) but he continues to proceed. And I was so into this race with my brother that I realized I need to stop. And I know how to, I know how to drag my legs to do that, but it all happened so fast. I yelled to my brother to stop, but in the process of that quick thing, I hit him very hard. Like I, the swing hit him. And then when I came back down, it hit him again. And I can remember how, first of all, how that felt and then how it vibrated like through the swing. So my brother started crying, obviously, and I was upset. And my dad and my aunt came running across the backyard to the swing set. And I wanted to explain to my dad, you know, like, like, this is what happened. I'm so sorry, you know, bubble. I didn't know how, how bad my brother was hurt. Um, but I knew in an instant, the fun we were having that summer night was totally over. And my dad looked at me and he said, go to your room right now. And I knew better than to argue with my dad. And I really didn't know what was going on with my brother. So my four-year-old brother and myself, we went to our rooms and, um, A little while later, my mom came home. She took over my youngest brother. My dad came upstairs and got my other brother ready for bed. And then he came into my room. And I had, in the meantime, been laying on my bed and and just kind of crying and wondering, you know, I could hear my brother crying downstairs still. And I just didn't know how hurt he was. And I just felt sick in my stomach that, you know, that I had hit him. Um, So my dad came in and I, again, tried to explain myself to him. And he said, you should have known better this is your fault. And he spanked me. 
Mm. And as you know, and I, and I believe that that was the moment in which I took on what I have to say doesn't matter. And for years, I wouldn't, I wouldn't raise my hand in class. I didn't speak out in relationships. And I think, I think that in part came from this belief that I, what I have to say doesn't matter. And, and that obviously isn't true. And I've done a lot of work on, you know, being able to speak in public and even bring this book to light. But I think that it was my dad's lack of empathy in the moment, frustration. I'm sure he was worried about my brother. He may have thought I should have been paying more attention. You know, he may have been mad at himself. He may have just lacked the parenting skill in the moment. But the point is that ended up being, you know, put on me. And um, again, I want to say that our parents operate and we operate as parents the best we can with what we know and based on our life experience. So even the most mundane moments, you know, there was, there was no ill intention on my part, obviously, to, to hurt my brother. And I don't believe at this point, I think that my dad was very, you know, upset, frustrated. Again, I don't know if it was at himself or whatever the situation was, but it's so easy for our kids to take on beliefs about themselves in just such a mundane moment, you know, like it was just, it's just another day, you know? Um, And so I don't want to say to parents, my message is not, oh my gosh, you've got to be perfect 100% of the time. Because I am certain that as my kids get older, they've taken on beliefs as a result of my, you know, maybe lack of patience or lack of parenting knowledge and in the moment kind of thing. But to recognize that it's so easy for, for all of us to take on a belief about ourselves, especially during childhood, we're so impressionable during those first several years that that can draw out and really impact a child for a long time. So, you know, my, again, in terms of parenting, to be able to listen to what your child is saying, not jump to a certain conclusion, um, yeah. And also to put, be able to put yourself in your child's position. I think even more important than that, to be able to put yourself in the shoes of your child for a moment, yeah. just to see, you know, especially if your kid is like trying to explain something to you. And sometimes parents will just jump to, I've got to nip this in the bud and, or my kid is trying to manipulate me. This is who my kid is. And just, mm-hmm. just take a step back, like, you know, just take a step back. And you don't have to nip things most of the time, unless it's a life or death situation, you don't have to nip things in the bud right there. It's better to think through and get out of your emotional brain um, before you maybe jump to whatever consequence needs to happen. Yes. And I was thinking as you were sharing that, you know, how we're all going to do it. We're all going to make mistakes. And it's the repair too, when we make those mistakes, mistakes to be willing to go back and right. say how different that would have been if your dad would have had those tools. Mm-hmm. And yeah. because that is, I think, the blessing of parenting when we're during this generation is that we do talk more about feelings. We do talk more about seeking to understand than our parents' generation. It was yes. more, you know, punitive, domineering. Yeah. 
And yeah. that's because that's the way they were raised. And and I do, I believe that Cheryl, some of the behaviors that our kids are showing us, um, the rise in anxiety and depression and suicidal ideation can in part be a call for us as parents to wake up and evolve the way we're having relationship with our kids. Yes. So don't read that as is blaming on parents. That's not what I mean. What I mean is Mm -hmm. I believe our children's words and behaviors are calling out to us, sometimes screaming at us, that the way that we're parenting, the way that we, we can't parent the way that we were parented. We can't continue to parent that way. And it doesn't look like we need to jump to a friendship. It does look like a balance of structure and really tuning in to who our kids are because they need to be seen and heard for who they are and not who we want or need them to be. Yeah, that's so important because we do who we want them to be versus who they really are. Mm -hmm. And yeah, getting out of the way and seeking to understand. I think how much pain I was just like wanting it. It it really made me want to cry when I was reading that because I was imagining how badly you felt in your bedroom and not you know and and feeling so badly. And if your dad would have come in and just been able to say, "I was so scared. How are you feeling?" Yeah. Yeah. You know, and you would have been able to cry and say, I feel so terrible and have yeah. for you. Or tell me what yeah. happened. Tell me, you know, because I think yes. I just want to be, I just wanted to be heard for, you know, again, I, I, I felt terrible in this situation and I didn't get to express that because I was penalized for, you know, I should have been the one that knew or that, you know, and when I think back to, or when I think about six-year-olds and, you know, nothing about me was malicious before then. So I don't know why in that moment, but, but I I truly believe that it probably came down to a frustration and his part and, um, you know, just not, not listening. And, and so we gotta, we gotta pay better attention to these kids and what they're saying and what they're trying to communicate with us. Yes. Yeah. Very well said. I want to read something that you say in the book. My thing out here, I want to quote you. You talk about, I forget exactly what you're talking about, but we were teenagers out for a good time. I I can't remember what, if that was, you got caught doing something. Consequences, what consequences? Please tell me I'm not the only one who didn't think about what might happen if I made a stupid choice. We forget this part as parents when it comes to our kids making mistakes and choices we don't often want for them. And I love that because kids aren't, tweens and teens aren't connecting the choices. What do you remember now? It's escaping me. What was that situation? Do you remember? I don't. I can't. I can't. I should. I've read the book a million <laughs> times. I should know this. But there were so many times in my life, though, that I it could. It was probably. It might have been related to going out and drinking or something as a teenager. I don't. I don't. I don't remember. Yeah, it was something. There were so many good examples in the book. But I did think like you were not, I so related to that. You were not thinking about cause and effect. No, I know. 
It could have been sure. when I ran away from school. It could have been when I ran away from school. Like I had this brilliant <gasps> idea. Was it. I had yeah. this brilliant idea. I mean, I was so unhappy at this new school and I had this brilliant idea and I never thought about the consequences of walking off the playground in the middle of the school day and what that might, what that phone call might've been to my mom and uh, your daughter, we can't find her. We don't know where she is. You know, like as a parent, I can now go, oh my God, my mom must've been, you know, devastated, but we don't, that's, that's a clear illustration of me at the age of nine and fourth grade, not being able to see the consequences of my actions until they showed up. Like I just, I was all about me in the moment. And I think that's what we have to understand about our kids is they don't even, even our teenagers that may look like adults, you know, they, they go through puberty and they begin to really look like adults at, you know, 17, 18, 19 years of age. We just assume that they are even the kids with the best, most level heads will can make an unhealthy or unwise choice. And we have to remember that this is that we also, I, I, I don't, I don't know an adult out there that hasn't made an unwise choice at one point or another. So again, having some empathy for that and some compassion and not because usually when you make an unwise choice and there's some kind of consequence naturally that already you're feeling bad about that whatever that consequence is and again to to add anger shame additional consequences to it it just isn't productive and it makes a person feel even worse than they already do. It does not help. It doesn't accomplish what we want. Yeah. Well, well, I think we're going to have to have you back for for a second time. (laughs) We could go on and on, but you have to get Kim's book. Okay. Yes, I want to do get the book, do get the book. And I don't know when this is coming out, but I'm doing a series of um, Zoom calls in September on Tuesday evenings for the one part of the book, the second part of the book, and the third part of the book. So I'm going to break the book down. And um, so I don't know what, when this comes out, but if it if it is in the neighborhood of September 7th, 14th. It'll come 20th. out next week. Okay. Yeah. So Tuesday evenings, I would love, and the book is a really quick read. So even if people, you know, get yeah, it. They won't be able before, to put it down. Right. It's, it's, very, it's very quick. I mean, I've had people read it in three hours, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. So, but what I'm going to do on these is really break down the limiting beliefs and talk about that with people on the call. So just a little. And how it's, and how it's playing out. So, yeah. yeah. So um, wonderful. Thank you, Kim. Um, Tell them where to find you. And I will also share it in the podcast notes. Sure. My website is Real Life Parent Guide. And so you can find me at reallifeparentguide.com. I'm also on Facebook and Instagram. Um, I also have a YouTube channel and I have a show that I do called Becoming Me While Raising You as well, where I interview moms who are building their business legacy while remaining a present parent. So um, yeah, this this title goes to a show, to this book and um, to a course that I've designed for moms. So I'd love to have everyone check it out on my website. Yeah, thank you so much, Kim, for coming on and helping us on this journey to make those connections so that we can have healing for generations to come. 
Well, that's a wrap. And thank you so much, friend, for being with me today and listening in. And I want you to know, just prepare you that we have our free three-day workshop that is coming up pretty soon, beginning of October. And so be on the lookout for that. I will be telling you as we get closer, but you can also go to momsoftweensandteens.com and you can sign up to get our newsletter. We send out, I don't know, about a couple newsletters a month so we don't flood your inbox, but you will get more information as that is coming up. So I want you to be a part of it. So have a great week and I will see you back here next time.